Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel, joined, as always, by David Simone. We have an action-packed show today as we look at the bowl game coming up on Thursday. The Bearcats taking on Boston College in the Birmingham Bowl, the ever-exciting, always-action-packed Birmingham Bowl. Nothing anybody loves more than spending the holidays in Birmingham. I don't even think the people in Birmingham enjoy that. Um, and then we've got basketball tomorrow night, or Wednesday night, excuse me, this being Monday. Wednesday night, the Bearcats hosting the Yukon Huskies. Legendary Bengal fan Danny Hurley's final trip into Fifth Third Arena in the American Conference. But first, we've got a new title sponsor, Dave. This is yes. now, going forward, the BCJ Podcast presented by the Holy Grail Banks. Oh, my gosh. I know. We are now partnering with the Grail at the Banks. We'll be doing some watch parties for basketball down there. They are the title sponsor now of this right here podcast. We are doing big things. We are moving up in the world. We will have more details to follow on the watch parties at the Grail. Uh, the 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 sponsorship officially starts January first. I'm giving them a little free spot here. They are that now indeed the new title sponsor of the Bearcat Journal podcast, presented by the Holy Grail. Other big news, Dave. We have a guest, a very distinguished guest, a guest that poured his heart and soul into the University of Cincinnati over decades. <laughs> I was, was going to say, for a solid decade. <laughs> <laughs> he was on the Van Wilder plan as he worked his way through the Cincinnati football program. We are joined by none other than my good friend, Garrett Campbell. Garrett, how are you this wonderful late December afternoon? Uh, I am doing fantastic. I want to thank you guys for having me on the show. It's an honor. An honor. Nobody's ever said that before. You know what? I got to come up with new stuff. I got to make you feel good. (laughs) (laughs) Garrett, as all of you know, if you're a fan of the Bearcats, was a mainstay on the Cincinnati offensive line towards the back end of his career, his long and illustrious career, playing guard and center with great versatility and bringing a, a, a GCL toughness to the University of Cincinnati. How's that for an intro? You know what? I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> Let's get into it with Garrett. We're going to we're going to talk a little about his experiences at UC. We got some hard-hitting questions. Garrett Dave Garrett asked me for the questions in advance. It's not how this works. We don't even know the questions in advance. <laughs> that's that's the part I didn't tell him. We don't even know the Do questions like our- in advance. I've told Chad before, I am terrible at speaking in person, speaking live. So, you know what? I'm going to stumble and fumble through this. But you know what? That's what I'm here for. You're doing a great job so far. Just don't picture me or Dave in our underwear, and you should be fine. Yeah, yeah. If, it go, if it goes bad, we'll just hang up on you, and you don't have to worry about it. Perfect. <laughs> I like to hear that. There's an escape plan for me. All right, Garrett. Let's go. Um Let's go to the bowl season itself. Uh, bowl practices, 
how much of a grind are those? How much after Luke Fickle got here did did he invest in like making it a little bit more fun, a little bit more, um, you know, something that's tolerable for the guys instead of you know fifteen practices of of game planning for the same team. Yeah, I full. Uh, practice can get a little monotonous you know doing the same thing over and over and I think one of the great things is being able to travel somewhere new and experience a new travel or a new uh, practice facility you know one of the really cool things I did in my career is um, I remember last year we got to play in uh, in Maryland's uh, indoor facility and you know just having a kind of change of scenery kind of breaks it up a little bit for you because as you guys know the the season can get quite long you know especially running into the january months so you know being able to go somewhere new kind of breaks that up a little bit makes it a little bit more fun and you know especially being in a new city the coaches like to you know get you in get you out of practice and let you enjoy the the local you know venues and whatnot so i I think they do a great job of balancing out work and, and play especially because as a lot of us know bowl games are not always guaranteed and, and they're more of a, re- a reward than anything. So, you know, coaches do a great job, especially a uh, fickle staff of kind of letting the kids know that, and know that this is kind of icing on the cake and a reward for, you know, the hard work that they put in during the season. But it's not as um, in previous regimes, it's not what you would call a bowlcation though, is it? No, not by any means, you know, the the lease is just a little bit tighter, you know, and like I said, it's not always a guarantee. I had two seasons where I was not able to uh, go to a bowl game, unfortunately, but you know, like I said, this staff does a great job of balancing out, you know, staying focused and allowing the kids to safely and smartly go out at certain times, you know, have a good time and enjoy the local uh, stuff around. How much did you enjoy you get when you, when you get to be a senior, the bowl practices get a lot easier for you, especially in the early portion. Um, I know this year, and I don't remember how much it was last year. I know this year, Luke had the seniors go through like the first six or seven periods of practice. And then they were allowed to take their pads off. Uh, I think this was through the first like five or six practices. Uh, that's got to be awesome as a senior to get that. You were out there when you were younger, grinding it out, and 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 dealing with those bowl practices. Taking the pads off as a senior has got to be great as kind of a, a reward to you guys. Yeah, I, being able to take your pads off at any time is is always a, a rewarding experience. It, it takes a lot out of you to run into a 300 pound person for, uh, you know, two hours or anyone your own size for two hours. Uh, I don't particularly remember doing that my senior year. I think we were, uh, a little thinner and, and we, we had to practice a lot, but I, I'm happy that the seniors are able to do that this year. You know, I know in times past, uh, things have been that way. And I think the seniors enjoy it a lot and they feel a lot fresher going into the last game, you know, a two, three week bowl grind can get really long and it can feel like, you know, camp all over again. And so being able to take those extra reps off your legs, off your shoulders, especially as a lineman, you know, not have to wear your knee braces or run around in them. I think it, it really helps a lot come game time. You know, you feel a lot more fresh and a lot more energetic. So I, I think it's, it's 
a big combination of, you know, rewarding these seniors for everything they've done and, you know, sending them out with a bang and uh, a lot of smart strategic play and, you know, letting them recover a little bit. So you're saying it was difficult every day to have to deal with Marquise Copeland and Cortez Broughton? Oh, no. Come on. Those guys? <laughs> you can ask them yourself. <laughs> well, no, I, I'm at, at least until made, those two guys made me who I am. So, you know, I'm always happy for them and always excited as to where they are now and, you know, the, the ways that they push me to be better. Well, early in his career, Cortez wasn't much of a practice guy, was he? You know, Cortez wasn't much of a make it through a whole practice kind of guy in general, but you know, we won't talk about that. <laughs> we love busting chops a little bit here on the BCJ podcast. You know, he would bust yours if he was on here. Oh, I know. That's why I'm getting my shots in right now before he listens later. He's going to, I'm positive he's going to hit me with the text later, but we'll worry about that when the time comes. Dave, what do you got for Garrett? Anything? Yeah. So Garrett, you mentioned about bowls being rewards, and there's there's always talk between fans when you're going to a bowl game. You know, with this new New Year's Six setup, and with the team unfortunately not winning the conference championship, so they're they, they're at the mercy of whatever you want to call it, bowl tie-ins, commissioners, whatever. But you know, there's some fans that want to play a known team. There are some fans that want to go to, you know, a nice location as, you know, a little mini vacation, mm-hmm. stuff like that. What do, what do players look for? Like when you were waiting to find out what you guys were going to get for your bowl game, what did you want most? And what did kind of, what did kind of some of your teammates, what were they looking for or hoping for? You know, I think it goes down a list. I think the number one thing that most people look up is Warm the bowl gifts. So, and now yes. bowl gifts come first, believe it or not. So every year when we uh, when we get picked to go to a bowl, the first thing we'll do is go online and see last year what the bowl game out or bowl gave out as uh, rewards or uh, bowl gifts rather. So right. you know that's one of the main things that people do, and that's at the end of the day it's materialistic, it's arbitrary, but you know a lot of people like those things because you know you can get to one of these big time bowl games and get some. Uh, pretty neat stuff because uh, you know we hear legends and tales you know uh like kyle trout used to come in and he used to tell us you know the bowl gift suites that you know ohio state would get the national championship and whatnot so you know that was always exciting to think about and that kind of got guys riled up a little bit got them uh excited but i think number two is location uh, for me you know the hawaii bowl is definitely one of the best you know, I got to stay on a resort by the beach for, what, two weeks or a week and uh, kind of relax out there. You know, I'd never been to Hawaii before. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of different factors that go into it, and I think those are two of the main ones. That's kind of what I've, kind of what I've always thought is, that, you know, that the, the game should be the, a reward for the, you know, players, coaches, their families and stuff. So, like, Send them somewhere nice, somewhere that maybe they prob- possibly wouldn't go, uh, you know, as a normal vacation or, you know, especially with like Hawaii now and everybody gets to go to Hawaii, especially college kids. So it's, you know, a big, mm-hmm. big opportunity there. What is, what were some of the, you know, you, you were with the Bearcats for the better part of a decade, went to several bowl games. What were some of your just bigger memories aside from playing in the games themselves? that uh, the bowl games had for you? 
Um, I remember the my first is the Belk Bowl when we went, and uh, that was awesome to be able to get in the NASCARs and, and uh, kind of ride around in the Speedway. You know, that's not something that a lot of people experience ever in their lifetime, and they will ne- we'll never know the feeling of being up on an angle almost directly perpendicular to, to the stands on those turns, which was, you know, exciting. And then being able to, you know, uh, play in the Panther stadium, uh, was in a phenomenal experience. You know, whenever you can play somewhere that on that kind of stage and that kind of big place is exciting. Uh, Belk Bowl, we also had, you know, a $500 spending spree at, at Belk down there, which is, you know, phenomenal. Uh, like I said, Hawaii, what you get, with a with belt? Yeah. You you got five hundred dollars, oh. what'd you buy? I think it was right before Christmas, so I was big time shopping for presents. <laughs> it's always nice when you can get free presents for everyone. So that, that's kinda nice why I did. I think you're, you're in college, you're not even expected to buy presents for anybody. Like you're like, Oh, I'm broke. Oh uh, no, no. <laughs> Mom and Dad, if they didn't get some, they'd let me know. <laughs> No, that that was exciting. Um, we went to, you know, the Military Bowl was a great time. We all got Xbox Ones, which was a, a phenomenal time. Or it was exciting. And we were able to stay in downtown D.C. Unfortunately, I was arriving late because that was the year I had knee surgery. But, you know, being able to stay in that hotel and in that location, you know, was, was unbelievable. And being able to repeat that and kind of have the whole experience, my – uh my uh, last year was even uh, even crazier, and I got to really, you know, see everything, see the monuments, go through the museums, which was, you know, something that not a lot of people would be able to do. And I think having that structure and having those things kind of lined up for us was something that I think a lot of people take for granted, but I think I, I really appreciated. And especially, you know, like Hawaii, being able to have a luau with you know, a couple of the, uh, what was Hawaii Bowl? Who did we play? Oh, San Diego State. That's right. And San we had Diego State. Out and we had like a, yeah, we had a dance-off competition and everything. The guys put on hula skirts and everything. I think that was just hilarious. You know, so there's a lot of cool things that you do during these games. Do you call it like your second senior year, your third senior year? Being having six years under your belt, how do you how do you title all that? <laughs> you know what? It gets it gets a little bit crazy, and that's why sometimes I get all the years jumbled up a little bit here. They all kind of mesh together at the end of the day. A lot of people, especially the, in the lineman room, call me Grandpa because I've been there so long. You know, I had my my generation of the guys used to call me Dad, and then now the new ones call me Grandpa. So, you know, I'm getting old, senile, starting to mesh all the bowl games together. But no, I. Well, I you call were, it fifth year, sixth year. You were originally recruited by Butch, right? No, my first, I was Tubbs' first year. I know, but under, I didn't know, uh, I didn't know Butch Taylor. was was involved at all before nope. he left. Okay. Nope. All right. Um, let's get to, and I know people love hearing about this, the change when Coach Fickle got here. Attention training and, and everything that you guys went through – was it instantly everybody was bought in, or were some of you looking around at Brady and going, this guy's crazy. I, I don't know what this is all about. Oh, we were absolutely petrified. I mean, our <laughs> first couple days, even Brady told us, he said at some points we would run out there and he would literally just look around like, what am I going to do to these guys today? And we would have no idea 
and he would just take us somewhere. And, you know, they were some of the, the hardest moments I've been through and, and some of the best moments I've been through. And, you know, towards the end of the tension training, we kind of learned how to bond and, and get come together. And especially like doing tug of war at the end, you know, with your position group, you know, you, you might've gone through one of the hardest workouts in your life and you're caked in mud, but you know, we're all sitting there laughing and kind of joking around with each other, you know, which is a testament to the team building and bonding that they really created through, you know, moments of adversity like that and, and moments of hardship. And I think it was either week or one, Week one or week two, you can quote my mom on this, but uh, I came home, you know, and they asked me the same question. They said, how do you like the staff? You know, what, what do you, what do you think? And the first thing that I told them was, I really wonder what, where I would be if, you know, I had all five years with these guys, you know, if, if I would have started with the staff. So, you know, I, I bought in pretty much after week two. And, and I think that was the same with a lot of people, you know, that they, they really enjoyed the work ethic that was installed and, you know, the, the amount of commitment and dedication that Fickle brought to practice, you know, and, and, and knew his players, he knew everybody by name and, and, you know, knew everything about you and was interested in you. And, you know, it, it really, you, you want to play for somebody that that's dedicated to you as much as you're dedicated to them. And I think that was one of the first times I felt it was with Fickle and his staff. The one thing that I always talk about, I think when people hear Luke talk or they see him on the sidelines, he he kind of he's got kind of an everyday like normal guy type personality to him. But I, I tell people what they don't know is, I don't know if I've ever in my life met someone more competitive than him. And, oh, and from it, a player's it, standpoint, what's that like? It is one of the most intense things. I remember our first, uh, our, after our first spring with him and we had our, uh, you know, exit interviews for, for the summer or whatever, you know, he'd, we'd come in, you have to go meet with him and talk. And I remember just kept wiping my hands on my pants because my palms are sweating so bad, you know? And I remember him mentioning it in our, our exit meeting as a whole team. He said, some of you guys got to grow up. He said, I see a, I shake your hands after we're done and half you guys' palms are sweating. You guys are nervous and you're jumbling and you know, your, your voice is cracking and you know, he's a, he's a really competitive, fierce guy. And you will, you will see that in him, especially on like a, on a game day, you know, it's no nonsense, all business, which is, which is exciting to see in a coach, you know, you uh, you want that fire out of your players. And when you show it as a coach, you you demand that out of your players, I think is what I mean to say. And I think we followed suit and we really bought into that. And I think it shows on the field. You you see a lot of laser focus in people's eyes. You see a lot of no nonsense. And I think that translates to, you know, the great seasons we've been having. But he's also a ball buster. Like he'll, he'll, Oh yeah. He'll get after you. And he does it to everybody. He does it to Jim Kelly. He does it to me. He does it to the team. He's a guy that likes to get a good dig in and uh, and have some fun as well, which I think is a really fun mix uh, for a yeah, coach. Yeah, and, and I think our first year, you know, with attention training and everything, I thought I think it was a little more structured and stern. But, you know, once you crack that exterior shell, you can get to know him and you, you can show him that when it's time to play, it's time to play. And when it's time to – to have fun it's time to have fun you know you can crack that exterior layer and you can get in and crack a smile out of him get a few jokes out of him which 
I think it, it has a healthy balance to uh, player-coach relationship. Dave? Walk us through a little bit. I mean, a lot was made of your rehab last year, going out in the UConn game and getting back before the end of the season. Um, walk us through a little bit of the beginning of that and how intense that was. And then was there like a point in time during that process that you kind of, it kind of flipped to like, man, I might actually, I might really be able to get back ahead of schedule and maybe get into some of these games before the end of the season and not just uh, the bowl game. Yeah. So uh, UConn game, I got rolled up on and I felt it. I felt something pop and I thought to myself, yeah, wow, that's going to hurt in the morning. That's good. That's a good ankle roll right there. And so I had Ferg try to help me up, and I was like, ah, I'm going to go back down real quick. So I went down, and they came out, and they, of course, examined me, and, you know, they're like, all right, we'll, we'll try to walk you up the field. So I got up, and I started walking, and I started feeling better. I was like, okay, maybe this isn't as bad as I thought. And then I sat down, and they were, you know, examining my ankle, or my leg, rather, and, you know, Divine was whispering to, uh, to Colosimo, I believe, and I looked down at him. I said, I'm going to find out eventually, so you better tell me what it is right now. And he said, yeah, you broke your leg. You broke your fibula. You know, and that was extremely hard for me to hear right away. Uh, I was overcome with emotion pretty much instantly. Uh, you know, to come back for a six-year like that and within the first four weeks uh, break your leg. You know, for me, I thought – breaking your leg. I mean, I'm going to be out for, for months. I'm going to be, you know, rehabbing. I, I lost this season. I'm, I'm never going to get it back. And so I just remember every athletic trainer or doctor that I would encounter, I'd say, how many weeks, how many weeks, how many weeks? And, you know, everybody would say maybe a bowl game, you know, 10 weeks. And I remember the only person who told me, you can make it back in six weeks was Dr. Devine. No, it was Dr. Devine. Yeah. He, he told me six weeks and you know, I, I didn't, there, there was no other option for me after that. In my mind, it was, you're going to have six weeks to get back and that's it. You have, you have no other option. And so mentally I was gauged into six weeks. I wouldn't allow myself to go over that point. And I (laughs) believe it or not, you know, I, I got right out of surgery and the next day I was in there rehabbing right away. You know, I wanted more than anything to, to get back. And I'll always remember watching the temple game. And right when I saw the loss, I, I texted Aaron. I said, is anybody in the training room? I need to get over there. I need to work because it was a day that everybody was gone. And, and I felt so much emotion and so much anger and fury that I couldn't be out there that I just wanted to go rehab and I, I just needed to get back as fast as I could. So uh, I, I will always remember how fast they work with me, especially coach Brady. You know, he encouraged me and he said, you're going to be back in six weeks. You know, he reinforced it and he kept me in shape and he kept me lifting. And, you know, I big shout out to my parents for taking care of me. I mean, I, I wouldn't have been back and my girlfriend, you know, she stayed with me for those times and, and helped me through a lot of, you know, they'd sit there and massage my foot at night to get the blood out. And, you know, there was a a village to take care of me. And I want to, I need to thank each and every other person for getting me back in time. And 
you can tell, you can ask Bob this, you know, I think week four ran, uh, rolled around. We were playing Navy and I looked at Bob and I said, Bob, I'm ready. I said, second half, just give me some tour at all. And I said, I'll play. I said, I'm fine. <laughs> and he cleared me actually, he'd clear me earlier that week because he had me a single leg jump with my left leg. And if I could do it with my right leg, he said, he'd clear me, you know, and I sat there and I jumped and I jumped and I jumped and I couldn't get it. And then eventually, you know, Bob got in my ear and he said some choice words to me. And you know what? I did it. I jumped and I made it. And sometimes it takes that extra little push to get you there. And, you know, week four, I said, shoot me up some tour I'm ready to go. And I, I was. And then I remember the next week rolled around and it was you USF. You were so mad. You were so mad when you didn't get I, that game. I had, I had tears in my eye because I was – I was in Coach, uh, I was in Coach Crook's ear, just absolutely pleading him to let me go in, and you know he turned around and he's like, no, no, there's no way, and you know especially when we went up, there was I knew there was no way I was going to go in, so you know I was incredibly frustrated, and to be able to come out uh, on uh, game day against UCF was you know one of the highlights of my career and something that I always cherish for the rest of my life, being able to come back. You know, I, I got to say too, I give Blake Yeager a lot of a lot of crap for for way out kicking his coverage. What what is yeah. your, what is your girlfriend seeing you? Good lord, that one doesn't make any you sense. You know what? You telling <laughs> you, people keep saying this, and I got to tell them you can't let her know. You can't let her know that she's way out of my league. So she's gonna catch one of these days. Well, I, with Blake, I mean, it, it, he's married to an Olympian here soon. Like, what are we, what are we doing here, Jordan? It, it makes me, question, I, uh, I, it makes me question her sanity. Uh, yeah, it does. <laughs> She's gonna get somebody to keep her grounded. You know, I think that's what it is. I think Blake's the perfect one to do it. Oh, <laughs> uh, Dave, you got anything else for for Garrett here? Uh, yeah, just. One thing about this year's current team, there was obviously when you you and several other veteran guys graduated and moved on, there was a, a new influx of talent on the offensive line. And I think offensive line play in general is probably the hardest thing for, you know, your casual and even your hardcore fans to evaluate. We were trained to kind of just mm -hmm. watch the ball and only look at the line when there's a penalty on them or something like that. <laughs> From your yep. standpoint, watching – watching this group, um, how did you think they progressed through the season with a lot of moving parts and kind of where do you think maybe not necessarily calling out anybody individually, but just like where's the next step for this, for this unit going forward? You know, I, I know all those guys so well. And like I said, they're all my, they're my sons and grandsons and I have tremendous love for them. And I've tried to coach them the best that I could and give them all the secrets and the tips of the trade. And I think that they did a phenomenal job this year. I think a lot of them stepped up and, and grew up actually and, and played the position very well. You know, there's a lot of young guys like Jakari and, and Coop and, and Mets too. I mean, Mets wasn't even an offensive lineman until a year ago, which is, you know, incredible to think about that he's out here playing on a D1 level and starting for a, a big time team and playing against some of the best uh, talent in the nation. You know, a lot of those guys had to step up, and they, they rose to the challenge. And it's a testament to how much work that they put in in the offseason and practice, you know, in camp, 
and how much of a great coach that Ron Crook is, you know, he's by far one of the greatest coaches I've ever had in my life. And I wouldn't be who I am today without him. And I, I think it's a true testament to, to who he is. And especially as a, a man and, and a father figure to those guys to see how far that they've come and, and how well that they've kind of gelled together, even through injury and adversity and moving pieces, you know, guys like Ferg have no problem moving from tackle to guard, you know, and Vinny too, and, and adjusting and, and having harp, you know, harps in this, in the same boat as Mets, you know, not too long ago, he was playing basketball and now he's competing at a very high level at the tackle position, which one is one of the, the toughest positions in football. And I, I think that they did a really great job together this year. Um, areas of improvement, you know, I think they, they just need to gel a little bit better together. I think that it, it takes a long time for guys to to learn each other's mannerisms and, and what they do on like double teams and when they pass that and everything. And I think that just comes with time. So, you know, the only gripe I have is, is time and, and discipline to to watch the film, to review, to see whether they can get better and – just kind of getting rid of the stupid stuff, you know, pre-snap penalties and stuff like that. I think, uh, which also comes with time and, and discipline and, and learning and becoming more calm in the game. You know, your first season starting, it's, it's really tough. Uh, each game is, you know, something new. Each game is, is a different defense and playing, you know, a new person, not knowing what they're doing and a lot of different moving parts. And I think as the seasons roll on and as you get older and you play a lot more and you get a little more time under your belt, I think that you can calm down. You can listen better. You can evaluate better. You, your movements and your steps become second nature to you so you can focus on other things. So I think just time will, will kind of fix all in this situation. You mentioned time. Did that make it even more impressive how quick Dino Boyd came in and was almost instantly like an extension of you guys? Because his, I mean, him coming yeah. in and shoring up left tackle was a huge factor in you guys winning 11 games. It just doesn't get talked about much because there was never a bump in the road with Dino. Yeah, and I think one of the great things about Dino is he didn't he didn't just come in and do his own thing. You know, he came in and he jived well with us and he joked with us. You know, and, and he became part of the brotherhood. And like I, like like I said or not like I said before, but as mentioned before, I think in the podcast is, you know, we are a ragtag bunch of guys, you know, we first, first year playing, you know, Trout is a transfer, you know, me as a, a former walk on, you know, Dino out there being a, a Morgan, transfer to Morgan. Was yeah. 30. Morgan being a 30. Yeah, exactly. So I think him seeing that and seeing that, you know, we're all just like him. We all come from, you know, different backgrounds. This isn't your typical offensive line. I think that that helped him, you know, adjust a lot better and, and come in and, and realize that, you know, we, we've all been through a lot. We all have different things going on. And I think he, you know, like I said, Ron, Coach Crook makes guys buy in and makes them, you know, jive well together. And I think he did a great job with Dino as well as all of us. Seeing this team on the verge of another 11-win season, being from when you got here to everything you went through, through the hard times and two, four and eight seasons. And now looking back, what's that feeling of yours that 
you know, you're you're a big part of this being where it is, and you're a hometown kid, and you get to look back and you get to say, you know what, when Cincinnati football turned around, you know, I was one of those guys that that was part of it, and now it looks like it's on stable ground, and this this run could last for quite a while with Coach Fickle. And uh, it's an immense amount of pride, you know, to to have that and to always share that, you know, with my family and you know, future generations and whatnot. But, you know, I'm just but a, a cog in, in the machine. You know, it, it took a it took all twenty two of us to, to get to turn the ship around and to buy in and to, you know, to, to really get there. And even even the four and eight season, you know, when when Corey was here and Will and Dave and Trout's first year and whatnot, you know, even Keith Miner and everybody, you know, I'm trying to run through everybody, but you know, even that four and eight season to have everybody kind of buy in and, and, and start start on the right path. You know, it may not have shown in the record, but I think that really started the right path. And I I just I'm just unbelievably grateful to to not only be able to be part of the staff and, and to turn the, the, the ship around, but to be able to do it with the guys that I did and to create these bonds for a lifetime. It's just something that I'll always cherish more than anything. Do you still hear from Trout? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we FaceTime every now and then. I think our first question to each other is, how much do you weigh? <laughs> that had to be fun. There, what game was it? You and you and Dino, when he right after he signed with the Bengals, you and Dino and Trout came back to a game. Was it UCF? Uh, yeah, it was. It was UCF. It had to be cool getting to kick it with those guys once again. You know, it's it's one of the great things about, you know, doing what we do and spending all that time together is that, you know, we could go months, years without seeing each other. And then when we meet up again, you know, it's like nothing's changed. We just kind of sit there and we look at each other and we'll do like little like inside jokes to each other. And we'll just sit there dying for 30 minutes. And I think, you know, that's just a testament to how close we became over the years, you know, how much close we became as a group. And I think it really shows, you know, especially in like the later years when we get back together. And like I said, these are bonds that will last a lifetime. So anytime I meet up with these guys, anytime I see these guys, you know, nothing's changed. They're the same guys, no matter what point of their life they're in. I wish Trout would have cut his beard his senior year because he wasn't, they wouldn't let him on camera. Well, one that, and they wouldn't let him on camera because he looked like a crazy person. And I never really got to fully, like, on video, let the fan base know how hilarious that guy is. He uh, He's just so lucky that he married such a great girl at such a young <laughs> age. I, it's unbelievable because I couldn't imagine going home and what she said to him. I, I honestly <laughs> could not imagine. But, I mean, he is, that's just part of who he is and who what made him him. And what makes me love him so much, and uh, you know, it, he's it's a just, funny he, dude. There's no other way to explain it, but trout. It's just trout. All right, man. Well, I will let you go. We took up a, a good half hour plus of your time, and uh, it is much appreciated. I know the fans love insight on stuff like this and getting an inside look, and especially from a hometown guy that worked his way up, won his scholarship, earned his scholarship, and gave a couple great years to Cincinnati on that offensive line. Much appreciated, my friend. It's great to hear from you. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. And you didn't stumble and bumble over anything. You did good. Woo!
trust me, my palms sweat about a gallon. <laughs> All right, brother. We'll talk to you soon. All right. See you. All right. That is none other than Garrett Campbell joining us here on the BCJ podcast. That was really good. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. Garrett, one of my favorites. Great personality. Great guy. He's still around uh, getting his uh, getting into the medical profession. Uh, working to become a doctor, he married or he's dating for a long time now uh, a former dance team member, and boy, he's way out of his league, way out of his league. <laughs> um, all right, let's get to uh, let's get to Boston College. Let's get to the bowl game. I don't know how much of a chance through the holidays you've had to do a deep dive, but this is a Boston College team without their star running back, without their number one quarterback, but. You have to think, much like we saw from Virginia Tech last year, they're going to come in trying to win this game because it Power 5 teams, it doesn't look good when they lose to supposedly inferior competition. you got to think Boston College is going to be up for the game. They just It's a, it's a question, I think, of, of you know their defense is statistically not good at all, and they don't have a whole lot of weapons left on offense. Yeah, it's, I mean, to be frank, like, obviously, a lot of things can happen in bowl games. A lot of it is who's real excited to be there, who's resting a minor injury that maybe they would have played if it was a big bowl game or a conference game. So there's a lot of unknowns, but. I mean, if the, you know the way Luke Fickle is and the staff is and the team has been, you know they have had the mentality that when we take the field, regardless of circumstance, we're going to do everything we can to win the game. And I'm sure a lot of teams say that. I don't know if how many teams actually execute that, but the the matchups just from a talent standpoint, they're not exactly even. So. I would, you know, I'm hesitant to say UC should win big because they're, they've had a long layoff and Boston College has had an even longer one. They're going to go over a month without right. playing. So, yeah, I mean, without Anthony Brown, who was their quarterback for the beginning of the season, you know, the best and the backup quarterback completed less than 50% of his passes. He had a touchdown interception ratio, but. I mean, he only threw the ball one more time than Brown did and played he played three or four more games than than Brown did. So they clearly weren't throwing the ball. AJ Dillon had three hundred and eighteen carries, which we know in college is an obscene amount. He's not playing. So it's just, you know, they're not a throwing team. Get you know obvious by AJ Dillon getting so many carries. So without him, it's not like they're going to unleash some wide open passing attack. They're gonna you know if you're gonna try to play bully ball against UC without your top two skill players on offense, I'm not sure how well that's gonna work. And from all from everything we've that we know, you know UC should have. I would expect to have everybody at their disposal that we would have expected to have, you know, yes. I don't know if any, 
I don't know the status of maybe some of the injured guys if they'll play them that have been out no. for a long time. No. Um, so there you go. But from the standpoint of guys that maybe were hurt towards the end of the year or, you know, in James Hudson and Brian Cook's circumstance, they're going to get some some action. So Brian I Cook. just don't think it's a very good matchup. Or Brian Cook, I don't think it's you a combined very good him matchup. With, you combined him with Javon Hicks and turned him into yeah. one person. <laughs> and that'd be a pretty pretty good player. Uh, yeah, um, long, rangy, aggressive. <laughs> yeah. But it's just it's not. I mean, they're they're it just doesn't set up well. I don't think from their standpoint. I mean, I, again with bowl games, I could be totally wrong. Um, well, it it does look like there will be the great equalizer. The forecast is ninety percent chance of rain throughout the day. Uh, we, we well we we're used to playing bowl games in the rain. So yeah. now I would have been a little bit more concerned with that note if AJ Dillon was around because that could have been oh, a real sure. problem. I mean, but it, it it's gonna hurt an already weak Boston College passing attack, and we don't know what that running attack is gonna look like without AJ Dillon. Right. So, I mean. You go from let me look at this real quick. What did I say? Three eighteen. Yeah. Three hundred and eighteen carries to your next back had a hundred and forty carries. So he was basically getting table scraps. Yeah, about you ten carries. About ten carries a game. Right, but I mean, when you carry the ball that many times, yeah. In a game, and your backup quarterback, who's now the starter, had 48 carries. He was third. I mean, the backup had the backup running back had eight, almost a thousand yards in his carries, 5.8 yards of carry, seven touchdowns. So, I mean, it's, it's not for a lack of talent. Um, you had a really, really good player in front of you, but I mean, I mean, there were six and six ACC teams that lost in the non-conference to Kansas. So. You know, they're, they're, they're pretty much like a whole lot of other ACC teams not named Clemson. Yeah. You know, against the top teams that they played, which I would consider Notre Dame, they lost 40-7. to Clemson beat them 59-7. to Those are the only two ranked teams they played. Uh, they beat Virginia Tech, but that was the first game of the year. They're a totally different team now than they were then. They lost to Florida State, beat Pitt by a touchdown the last game of the year. So, this is very much a team you want to get up on early. Oh, sure, because they're not they're not Purdue. They're not made to have to drop back and play from behind. Right. Uh, even without Dylan, if they you know get a lead, cause some turnovers, you know, then they can. That's their bread and butter, regardless of who the running back is. They can kind of lean on you and just just pound the ball. All right, prediction time, Mr. Simone. The Trace Pountas prediction. Final one of the season. TracePountas.com slash coffee. Inner Bearcats at checkout to get 20% off of delicious Trace Pountas coffee. What do you got? Uh, I think for the most part, you know, most, I'd say most bowl games, 
have tilt a little bit higher offensive for some reason. Um, you know, there's those outliers here and there where it's the defensive struggle, but it seems like bowl games for the most part, offense kind of rules the day. Uh, like I said earlier, I just, without AJ Dillon and how big of a focal point he is for the Boston College offense, I struggle to see them really, uh, you know, threatening UC in this game, but you know, I'll go something along the lines of I know the, the spread's still like around a touchdown. I'm not sure how it's that close, um, but I will go. I'll go like uh, let's go 38-24. Bear in the rain, in the rain, you think it's going to be that high scoring? Yeah, I, I, I do. I, I look Memphis and UCF. Very high-powered offenses struggled to put twenty-four on the Bearcats. I don't. I don't know that this Boston. I. I'm going. I'm going twenty-four thirteen Cincinnati. I think it's a bit of a slog just because of the weather. But I. I don't think Boston College, offensively, and you're giving Luke Fickle and Marcus Freeman a month. I well, think they I think they really struggle offensively uh against the Cincinnati defense. Especially if conditions are bad and that defense can fly around and and have a team that really isn't a threat to beat them through the air. So you're stacking eight, nine guys in the box looking to stop this Boston College running attack. I think it I think it's it's very favorable for the Bearcats. Um, yeah, no, I don't disagree. I just look at Last year, Virginia Tech's offense wasn't yeah. anything, and they put up their 31 in but the they rain. Could, so. They could throw the ball all over the place. Or they did throw mm, the ball uh, all over the place in that, that game. That game they did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe Boston College will be something that they haven't been all year. But, I mean, yeah, there, there could be a situation where because of the layoff, you see more points early in the game than, than you normally do. But once this defense finds its groove, I, I think they lock up Boston College. So I got 24-13. Yeah. All right, on to basketball. Wednesday night, the start of American Athletic Conference play. This team is obviously not where they want to be at 7-5, and five, but we've seen some life between the Tennessee and Iowa games. I think they're probably in the best mental state that they've been all season. And this is a game this team has to win. Because it gives you an opportunity. If you get this one, you go to Tulane. You have Tulsa at home. You go to uh, UCF, I believe, after that. You've got a chance, at least, to get on a little bit of a roll before you get into the difficult part of the AAC schedule. But it has to start with getting this UConn win at home. For sure. And, And the part that, I mean, maybe you can help me understand, or maybe there's no understanding to it and that's kind of the way that the beginning of the season is going is how you go from playing such great offense against a very good defensive team to playing such bad offense against a very bad defensive team well they missed shots i mean i don't think the offense was bad against iowa i think they just couldn't throw it in the ocean right and that that the the make shots offense is usually the most effective offense more times than not Usually. I mean, I'm not saying it's a guarantee, but I prefer the make shots offense to the miss shots offense. That's just me. So, but that's what I'm saying. Is that kind of just what we're 
yeah. that inconsistency is what we're going to have to just kind of hope well, that they can. I mean, ultimately, Dave, the reality is this outside of, of one or two guys, it's not a great shooting team. You know, why so, are those guys shooting so much? Um, well, I, I was actually talking to somebody about this on the way home from uh, <laughs> from media today. It was like one of like the worst thing that could happen in that Iowa game was Chris McNeil made his second three. <laughs> right, and then guys, you know, <clears throat> you see one go in, in the irrational confidence. It so, definitely happened to you know more, not just not just him. So it's not like it's uh, no. But point being, I mean. You don't have a lot, and and Jaron hasn't shot anywhere near up to his his normal ability. Jaron hasn't shot up to his normal ability. Keith is coming back down to earth a little bit, and like you saw with Iowa, they weren't letting Javen Cumberland squeeze off a clean look under any circumstance. Right. So you know the scouting report is out on the guys that can shoot. They're you know Chris McNeil. Iowa just walked away from, left him open, dared him to shoot. And in those situations, one, you got to be able to step into one and, and knock it down. Um, he wasn't able to do that. Now, you know what I want to see more of? I want to see more shots from Mike Adams-Woods. Yeah. I mean, he seems to be, to this stage of the season, I mean, am I allowed to say the most consistent shooter? I mean, it's a smaller sample size than some of others, but, I mean, he's, he seems to be good for between 40 and 50% right now, and no one and else at, is. Last I checked, he's at like 56% from three, which I think is pretty good. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, but he's he's only taken two or three of them a game. Right. I wouldn't mind seeing him at five a game. So that's just for him. You've got to, He's got to get into that mentality of being, you know, and, and then it, it can be a little difficult for a freshman, and especially – when you've got Jaron and you've got Keith and Chris Vote has has taken up a big chunk of offense and rightfully so with his ability around the rim and you know he's 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 a freshman he's settling in to being kind of a fourth or fifth option on this team and he was supposed to be like a seventh or eighth option and he keeps moving up and I think it may be even time you know looking at the, the Iowa game. It may be even time for him to move up a little bit more and be a little more aggressive looking for his offense, um, especially, you know, if, if you're looking at a team that's that's gone cold, let him try to shoot you out of it. If they're paying that much attention to Javen, I don't have any problem with Micah firing up a couple more threes a game. Yeah, I mean, I don't either. I mean, I'm taking points and buckets where we, anywhere we can get him right now. Um but yeah, I mean, you're talking about UConn specifically. I just think all these home games, regardless of who they who they are against, they're they're such they're just crucial. Yeah. And I don't want to go to the as far as say like we have to win all of them. Got to win a lot of but them. But they really only ha- they really only have you know five or six more regular season losses in them, regardless of how terrible the bubble seems right now 
and I'm not sure, and you, you've probably paid attention more than I have. I'm not sure. I know we talked about the league being better this year, and, and UC clearly isn't playing right now as well as we thought they would uh, in the preseason and, and come into the league portion of the season. But I'm not sure as a whole that the league is standing up on that being a lot better well, top to bottom this year compared to last year. So there might be some room in there for UC to kind of right the ship from our fan standpoint and, and get back into that top group where maybe they do figure out a way to, you know, not drop some of these games on the road that seem like they're coming just because of how inconsistent they've been. Yeah. Um, one right now, you've got to get Jaron back to. He looks like he's healthy again. Now you've got to get him back into game shape because I think, like you saw versus Iowa, down the stretch, like he just didn't have a whole lot left in the tank. And yeah, they that... used up all their energy coming back, which was great, and we see that a lot as team gets back in it. But then, right, there's still three or four minutes left, and they don't have enough then to kind of keep that level of intensity to then carry that over and take the lead and sustain it because they, they even took the lead but then they couldn't couldn't hold on to it yeah and and with with jaron it's he hasn't been healthy for a long time he didn't get summer conditioning he, he you know he so i think this break of 10 days or whatever it was was important for getting him back to where he needs to be to where he can can help because that's that's been one of his his biggest attributes is his ability to finish for this team over the past couple years. And that's just one thing that we have not seen, and it's a big part of why they've struggled to hold leads. They struggled to finish against Iowa. Um, they were impressive doing it against Tennessee, and for that one stretch, it looked like, okay, Jaron's, Jaron's coming just about back to where he needs to be. But I think they're still, you know, that I think, you know, these four games, and I, you know, one game at a time, whatever. These four games are critical for this season. If they get through this stretch four and zero, now they've got some confidence. They've got some momentum. There's a belief that things are starting to to click and work in the system. You get more game reps for Jaron to get him back to where he needs to be, and then you can try to to get hot. But if you come out of this stretch, even at at three and one. But especially, you know, two and two, or, or or God forbid, worse. But even three and one, that it's, one, whoever that loss is, is going to hang over them because it's not to anyone well, that's I mean, going you, to realistically make the tournament. UConn's not going to be a bad loss. It would be. I mean, at home, you need to win that game. You're not going to be looked down upon by the selection committee. Other than now, your loss total is at five, at six, and you're starting to. You're starting to, to to look at a situation where, all right, we got six. We can't really have any more than 11 or 12 or so. And we still got 17 games in this conference left to go. That's where. Right. I mean, I'm not saying you're there. looked down upon, but that that's going to be a loss to like a, what, yeah. 50 to 75 team at home. So it's not like, a, it's not like losing to ECU last year, but it's right. going to just sit in that column of, a, a, you know, add on to it just makes some things of the other a hell of a lot more difficult. Had. 
It makes right. things a hell of a lot more difficult. And it doesn't, there doesn't seem to be those big opportunities to well, add Memphis is going to be a big opportunity. I think Houston is going to be a big opportunity. And then the team that, that is, is jumping up and is going to be a problem, I think, to whoever thinks they're going to win this league is Wichita State. Right. I mean, they're, they're definitely playing much better than they played last year. I did see that, what, their Dexter Dennis, I don't know if you call him their best player, second best player, whatever. He's on an indefinite leave of absence. Yeah, that's not good. Not ideal. But, but yeah, I mean, but that's still only like, you know, even if you count Houston, who's 10-3 and three right now, you know, that's six wins, six games against, you know, likely or somewhat likely tournament caliber teams. And those are going to be your hardest games. So, I mean, thinking that they're going to go 6-0 and in that stretch is, is far-fetched. So, I mean, well, yeah. you're just going to have to – you can't afford anything to the bottom. Like – you know, not anything. <laughs> yeah, it's it's they're in a they're in a rough spot. They're in a rough spot. But they'll beat UConn because that's what they do. Oh no, Dave! Is are you? Do you have a burner account under the name of Zach Shelton on Twitter? Not last time I checked. Mm. This guy just showed up in the never-ending Joe Burrow mentions on my Twitter feed, and com- <laughs> and and compared Joe Burrow to prime Peyton Manning. Oh, prime Peyton Manning, not rookie Peyton Manning, not no, not Denver not Peyton severed, Manning, severed neck, can't throw the ball, Peyton Manning, like, yeah, okay, well, I'm, hey, I'm excited then. Wow, it was from when, last night when we were we were talking about um, Super Bowl. We were we were talking about if you would take all three of the first round Miami picks for Joe Burrow, and he said he said, "Think of the Bengals' last three first round picks. Would you trade all of them for prime Peyton Manning? Yes, yes, I would. Yeah. I would do that. I also don't think I don't think there's any way." on God's green earth that the Dolphins would give up all three of their first well, round no. picks in this year's draft. <laughs> no, I think you could get two of them and then one next year, but maybe, maybe it depends on how much they like Joe Burrow. Right. If he's, if he's prime Peyton Manning, they probably like him a lot. If he's prime Peyton Manning. They'd probably give us, give me the team. Is it right? <laughs> yeah. But at UConn, look, they, they gotta, they gotta figure out a way to win this game. And it's UConn, so they usually do. But if you watch, this team is not the pushover version of UConn we saw under Kevin Ollie. This well, is no, much more even, of a Danny Hurley UConn looking team. They weren't last year. I mean, they yeah. gave them everything they wanted at home last year. Um, so it's I can't imagine it's not going to be something similar. You know, they're they're probably looking at UC going. Like, Licking their chops, yeah. Yeah, not. I mean, just being real. They're going. These guys are are seven and five. They've played well in stretches, and they've played bad in stretches. There's no one's gonna come in from this point on. No one's gonna come in and not think that they can't win. And that right. has been that hasn't always been the case. I can guarantee you that hasn't always been the case over the last several years. 
Yes. You got the Bearcats winning on Wednesday night? Yeah, because they just they what this will make I think ten in a row, nine or ten in a row in basketball. Yeah, I can't remember if it was eight or nine. It's eight um, or nine. So, yeah, and I mean I I I do think there were, you know, like you said, the, the not make shots offense showed itself against Iowa. I think there were things to take from that that they can build on and having. The break maybe helped Jaron, and you know we could also see a forty-five, forty-eight game because of the break. Yeah, but oh, UConn played last night. Oh, they did. They played in JIT, oh, so they got they got so, one more. They got an extra. They got uh, all those kinks out against. Yeah. You know, a so walkover, that could be a, so. that could be a factor early. Sure. Poor sure. Purdue. And oh, poor Purdue. Who, who knows, too, with it being on New Year's Day, you know, if if everyone's out celebrating the New Year too much, <laughs> that, could, that could also play a factor. Yeah. Purdue is reportedly hiring Bob Diaco as defensive coordinator. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Hey, they, he had a big big turnaround at La Tech this year. So. Have fun with that. Have fun with that. Yeah. All right. That's, recruiter. All, that's all I got. You got anything else? No, I think what we we talked about uh, doing another one on Thursday, kind of a little bowl wrap yeah, up, well, basketball wrap up. So, um, but that it's recruit- a make up. It's a make up for last week. There's some recruiting stuff. Uh, we'll get into not anything major, just uh, more Evan Prater stuff with the Army All American game coming <laughs> up on Saturday. So we we'll talked a little bit about. Practice starts tomorrow, so tomorrow keep on the the national twenty four seven Twitter accounts. Because this could be a chance, Dave. If he has a good week, he could end up a five-star quarterback. Oh yeah, I mean, if if, if he practices well, yeah, they're going to be looking to see how the game goes, and if you know if he carries that over, for, that's that's certainly a possibility. Like, I don't know the percentage, but it's definitely on the table. Yes. So, all right, that wraps it up. (coughs) We'll see you next time. He's Dave Simone. I'm Chad Brendel. It's the BCJ Podcast, presented by the Holy Grail on BearcatJournal.com.